0: Hello and welcome to episode 53 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Saturday, November 14th, 2020. Big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney?
1: It's going really well. We have our Papa Bill here with us for a few days, so it's lots of food discussion, and we're all building our menu for Thanksgiving and getting excited for an alternate type of Thanksgiving. Yeah, all good. How about you?
0: Much to say. Well, we don't have a Papa Bill here, but, you know, planning (laughs) Thanksgiving and...
1: Would you like one?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. I think I'm okay right now. All right, and speaking of traditions, we will have our traditional episode. Well, I guess we're having a little bonus content. Uh, We'll have on the needles, on the easel, on the table with our review of 100 cookies at last. Not that I think any of it's gonna be a great shock (laughs) given how much we've been talking about it. Uh, And then we'll finish with on the nightstand. So once again, Courtney will be leading off on the needles. I'm still knitting. It's awesome. Thank you.
1: I'm pretty proud of myself. I'm at the point now I think I have six rows left and it's all the main color. And I had written you about a good stretchy bind off because the the inner seam or whatever you want to call it the inner edge is not elastic at all. And I really want to be able to like wrap and tie this and have it be stretchy so Um, I was so glad to get your recommendation for that stretchy bind off and I'm just in the land of 100,000 knit stitches, you know, back and forth, it's almost 550 Wow, is that a lot, it's supposed to be 90 or 92 inches from tip to tip by the time I say adios to the needle so a lot of stitches. It is a lot of stitches. It one takes row me, the time. Right. It takes me like an entire episode of West Wing to. <laughs> that's how I'm measuring it. I was so close and I was so desperate to finish this object so that I could for yeah. once. But, you know, I am the world's slowest knitter, and I don't want to let go of that crown. Speaking of crown, I really thought that the crown was coming back last night and I would have some binge watching to finish this up but I realized something I have to watch what I'm doing I'm not that good of a knitter you know like I have to Uh watch what I'm knitting and I've seen the west wing so it's easy to just sort of knit and then look up periodically whereas if I was watching the crown my eyes would be on that screen because it's such a visual gorgeous show yeah basically that's that's it for my knitting update I am still knitting I feel like when I finish this thing I'm gonna celebrate and I might even knit more because I'm really having fun with it cool yeah I mean you can just keep
0: knitting garter stitch shawls and you No, it's,
1: happy. the garter stitch thing is boring I mean oh, the, okay. it's good like, for kids, you know. it is good for tv but i actually prefer to purl and i wish i knew how to like do it is there a way to do it you just purl the whole time right if you start in purl <laughs> i
0: mean yeah there there is a way to knit backwards yeah so that know you, how well to. that's just so you don't have to flip it though i don't know and that would be for stockinette i mean i it couldn't you just purl the whole time instead of knitting the whole time
1: i could i might try that next time
0: yeah but you I remember know that about you from back in the day. You you like to pearl more, which I just find very strange. But really? You do you. <laughs> nobody likes they have redesigned shawls so that there is no purling. They've redesigned socks so that there are like versions of popular patterns where they have taken out all of the purling because people don't like to do it except you. You are special. No, you are unique.
1: I just taught myself from a book. So I imagine that the instructions for purling from that particular book were just really good instructions. And that's why it's more comfortable for me because n- nobody has really ever sat down with me and taught me how to do this properly.
0: <laughs> I don't think there's a proper way to do it because everybody knew differently.
1: That's true. And I so appreciate when you remind me of that.
0: I have not done very much knitting either. I think with all of the external excitement I've been doing more reading because it takes my brain off of what's going on and knitting is a little more mindless for me. That said I did get my barley hat finished. It's going to be a charity knit. It's a pattern by Tin Can Knits and I think this is the third one I've knit. It's such a nice pattern. It's from their simple collection. They have this whole collection of free patterns for if you want to learn to knit socks or a hat or a sweater or cardigan. There's probably a scarf or a shawl in there as well. But it's a really nice I mean it's simple, but it's a really nice pattern. Just got a ribbed brim and then it's a basic stockinette hat, but there's a a panel that takes up about a third of it in garter stitch. So it's just a little something something looks really nice. You can it's still pretty mindless knitting. So I did this in the Cascade 220 in Primavera, which is a bright, bright green. And uh, that'll go in the charity bin. I'm hoping to get those sent off in the next week or so. Cause I think she wants to do a big distribution in the next few weeks before the holidays. So so that would be nice. I'm still a little behind, that was my September hat. I'm not fully into my one hat a month uh, that I was hoping for, but you know, I've I've done, done a few. I have most of that skein left, so I'm I'm trying to think of what else to, to cast on in terms of hats. Because it is good mindless knitting. And then I'm almost done with my Celtic cardigan. That is by Acida Krebs. And that is in the Blue Brick Killarney sock, which was a sweater set. So I had a big honkin' skein of this really dark charcoal. And then the two smaller skeins in Electric Avenue, which is the purple gradient. And... I had finished the first sleeve and then I got the body done. It went really fast, like much faster than I would have thought cabling on fingering weight would go. But I think because so much of it is just stockinette and then there's just a little bit of cabling at either end for the border, like a button band kind of thing, although it's an open front cardigan. So it's not, there's no buttons. So I've now started on the second sleeve. And I do have to pay a little bit more attention to that because I did all that cutting and I want to say cutting and pasting. I mean, it's knitting. There's no pasting involved. Don't worry. Um, On the sleeves to make sure my gradient was all happening so I could get from the the magenta to the purple. So I do have to figure out where I'm doing my decreases and where I'm taking out yarn. And fingers crossed, I take out the right amount so it all looks pretty even. But I'm excited. I think it's going to be nice and long and cozy. I just have to kind of sit down and focus and make that.
1: That part of knitting terrifies me.
0: What? Like the
1: altering a pattern.
0: I'm not altering the pattern. No. I'm just making it longer. I mean, I guess technically I am. Yeah. Because it says knit 14 inches and I knit longer than that, but you can do it. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: I'll Um, get
0: there, maybe. Yeah, so once I finish that, then I'm going to try and sit down and cast on that Atlantica on my next sweater. Yeah, I just did not have the headspace to do it. These past two weeks, I kept thinking, like, I, when I had quiet time, I did not want to sit down. And I think, and it's a provisional cast on, so you have to do a crochet cast on of, I think it was like two hundred stitches, and then go back and start knitting. And I just, my brain was not there. But soon, soon, I think, yeah. So next time, I should have lots of new knitting <laughs> content because I will have all these new things, and I have so many. So many things in my head. And I have two advent cat kits this year. So two, two, one is a gnome from Sarah Shira Imagine Landscapes. It's not, it's not a specifically Christmassy gnome, but you could buy from the Loopy you They had kits and with the yarn and then there's treats in there too. So you could buy like a wintry colored kit or Christmassy kit. And I actually don't remember which one I ordered. So it will be a surprise when I open it up. And then I ordered one from Forbidden Fiber Company. My friend, Telly, I think has ordered from her in the past. And it was a really nice kit. And she had a white elephant one this year. So it's kind of the same thing where it's some yarn and some treats. And I, can't, again, I can't remember if it comes with a pattern. I don't think it does. But it just sounded kind of fun and different and very low stress, which I thought would be good. And I didn't I didn't do one last year. So I thought this would be nice. But now I ended up with two. So... I think that's very fun. The gnomes are very cute, so I think that'll be nice. Yep. Um, Yeah, so that is all the knitting. What is on the easel?
1: Well, on the way to the easel is the sewing machine, and I have been sewing from a pattern from 1978. This thing is beyond vintage. It's so cool.
0: That's younger than us. We are not beyond vintage.
1: Anything over 25 years old, I thought.
0: Oh, well, okay. I think it's vintage. All right, fair enough. Um, It's like the 80s or historical fiction.
1: Right. So this is a pattern from this line called Stretch and Sew, which was really popular then. And they have all kinds of sweaters and cardigans and pullovers and that kind of thing. And I found some of this brown wool jersey at the creative reuse place that I go to. And I thought I would test the pattern on the wool jersey. So I cut it out for a cardigan and stitched it up. And it it totally worked out as a wearable muslin. So I'm really happy about it. It might need a little bit more stretch, but this one fits fine. And I used my planner to make notes on the, you know, the the front page has the pattern and the details. And then on the back, I wrote out what worked and what didn't with this particular fabric. So that next time I know what to look for and ha- you know, which needle I used the walking foot on my machine and I used a ballpoint needle, which is important for, um, for like a stretch knit fabric. And I got really good results. And then I used these little snaps as the closure you could put buttons in a buttonholes but i wasn't sure how this pattern was going to come together so i kept it really simple and did the snaps and i'm happy with it so i am wearing this right now which is just such a great feeling it's kind of the perfect color to go with the shawl that i'm knitting too cuz the brown is very similar this is that same like mocha rusty brown that's in the shawl. Would
0: it go with your shirt
1: that you made? It will when I finish that little woodland pattern one. Yeah. So I just like the brown for right now and it's great to wear around the house. And it was also practically free fabric. You know, I got a whole bag of fabric for $7 or something like that. So it's awesome to try out new patterns with that fabric because that way if the muslin fails it's not. it's not a huge investment time-wise yeah but and not even when you consider how long it takes to knit a cardigan yes so the sewing is going really well and I I have some other projects that I want to start but the easel took a complete 180 this week oh or maybe it was last week. So I was starting to paint for this year's chapbook, and I had some creatures that I was really interested in, and was doing some character sketches for a bear. And and he, the bear, was really interested in trees, and it was a lot about my dad, and um, and it was really sad. And then as we were nearing election time. I thought that I couldn't believe that it was like November, you know, at that point. And I realized that I needed a new calendar. And so I sat down and was thinking about all of the things that I wanted to do in the rest of 2020. My goals from the beginning of the year, like almost everyone else's goals, got sort of crushed by covid And so I was trying to think of what I could salvage from that goal list. And one of the things was to make a calendar for 2021. And so I have, this is my husband's brilliant suggestion. I've melded, instead of doing a chapbook, I am making everyone on my Christmas card list a 2021 calendar. And it is super cute. (laughs) I love a calendar. I hope and I'm it still is on the list. of course <laughs> it is coming out it's so fun because a lot of the artwork was already complete and so I will give you a little sneak peek I made all those kettles and so I did like a kettle grid for one month and you know on there's a teaspoon on the bottom of the page and little details like that I found a printer who can print these for me. And I'm working on getting this together. I mean, I'm hoping to get it to the printer in the next few days because the shipping right now, I don't know if people are noticing, but shipping is taking longer. So I definitely want to give them as much time and then get them back so that I can send them out. It's a seven by seven calendar. And it's really, this is kind of my first stab at i've never made a calendar before i'm really excited because it's kind of a mix match like one calendar page is just a typewriter you know so it, it'll be not a hot it's just all of my funny little sketches in one calendar um, and i did the federal holidays and the christian and jewish high holidays and Some of the Muslim, I think I got all of the Muslim high holidays. I did one fun national day a month, you know, like National Handwriting Day, like my favorite one from each month. Yeah. And the solstices and the equinoxes. Nice. Because I and daylight savings. So I just kind of went through like what does what do people really need on their calendars and sort of built the grid from there and it's hopefully something that people will use or pass along. I mean, I'm fine with that if it's not your style. I'll use you know. it. Good. And it's, I think it's still big enough at a seven by seven, the grid that I made, I, I think it's still big enough to write in, you know, key things or birthdays. I mm-hmm. also did the, the full moon for each month because I like to know when that is. A lot of the artwork was complete. I was just trying to decide what was going to be the theme for each month. Now I'm going back through and filling in the holes. In the end, I had two months that I needed to paint a main image for. And I needed spot illustrations like down at the bottom or at the, you know, in the the beginning and the end of the month where there's space on the grid. I'm doing some spot illustrations for those. And then... I have ordered the envelopes to ship these to the people, you know, all of our friends and family with, and I decided I'm going to do like a little, Whoa. pencil, a little pencil on the envelope and it came out so cute. I love to paint on the envelope, even though it is a crazy endeavor to paint a hundred. And I think the list is up to 150. Um, but it's kind of my favorite part. And I feel like I do this for my own joy anyway. We appreciate so that's, it. So that's what happened to the chapbook. It is now a calendar.
0: I love it. And that,
1: thank you. I'm really, I'm excited because I won't spend the next month scrambling to make new images. Instead, I can keep up with gouache fember and then I can paint some tags or fun things for the holidays and not have the pressure of like a whole entire book Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm excited about it I kind of miss the thought of sending out a chapbook because it's been so much a part of my holiday seasons the past couple of years but I also don't mind the break and I'm ready for 2021 in a lot of different ways yeah. and I don't think I'm alone there so so a calendar it's coming think yep. the okay. way of anyone who's received a Christmas card from me in the past. And one or two new people. I try not to add too too many on because 150 is... It's
0: a lot. It's a
1: lot. But for gouache-vember, I have been painting in a sketchbook. And those prompts have been really fun and easy and... The group is great, although Instagram is doing a weird thing with the hashtag algorithm. So you don't really see the newest. I I don't know what's going on. So I feel like you have to chase down people in the algorithm or in the group a little bit. But it's got a great following and good momentum. And some of the projects from there are still some of my favorite from years past. So it's worthwhile. So that's what is on easel nice
0: all right on the table i have two vegetarian options for this episode the first is smitten kitchen's tangy braised chickpeas which were amazing so good she said she based it on i think it's her mother-in-law's brisket recipe so it's got this kind of tangy sauce well okay they're called tangy braised chickpeas so probably the sauce is tangy (laughs) but you put big slices of carrots in there. And I don't normally like carrots, but these were good. Um, and then you use tomato paste and sliced portobellos, So it gives it that kind of meaty feel and the chickpeas obviously and some vinegar and then you braise it forever and it was delicious. So good. Did you use dried chickpeas or canned? I can't remember. Um, I think I used, but I have definitely cooked chickpeas recently. I think I used canned for these because there was so much other stuff going in and I can't imagine that I would have both cooked chickpeas and then braised, them. braised yeah. for an hour and a half on the same day. So I think these were canned, but I did cook chickpeas recently. So that's why I'm unclear. But you know, that was two weeks ago. Time has no meaning, but it was really delicious. So I would recommend that one. And it did have this real, with the portobello's a nice meaty hearty feel. So that was really good and then the other one is from dinner changing the game which is melissa clark's book so shocker that i like one of her recipes and this was an acorn squash and broccoli rob salad and it was really simple you slice and roast the acorn squash you roast the broccoli rob along with it and then you mix it with pecans and dried cranberries and i think maybe some apple cider vinegar and then top it with ricotta salada which I could not find it at my grocery store for some reason, and they have a pretty good cheese department. I might just have not been looking, but so I used um, Parmesan instead, and it was great. Very autumnal, but simple. So I really, I liked it much more than I thought I would from the sum of the parts. All came together. I love
1: acorn squash. You made another dish, the stuffed acorn squash, from a couple yeah. weeks ago too.
0: Yeah, that one yeah. had a quinoa and cranberry stuffing. Yeah, it is definitely squash season <laughs> for sure. Yes. So yeah, so this was, some, this was a little less complicated, although that wasn't terribly complicated. But it was, yeah, I was not expecting to like it quite so much, but it all came together very nicely. How about you?
1: All the chicken in the world. No big deal. Just cooking all the chicken in the <laughs> world. <laughs> so I have a, sna- a kitchen snafu. I know everybody, everybody loves to hear the the bloopers. I make those chicken rows, the tzatziki with the tzatziki sauce, probably about once a week because my family absolutely loves that recipe. And it's really fun to eat with a, you know, a, a pita bread thing. So just after we recorded last time, I was throwing together this recipe and I had the whole milk, Greek yogurt, and put it in, let it marinate, made the tzatziki sauce with the same yogurt. We sat down to eat it and it was kind of sweet. And I thought, huh, I think it might call for a little bit of sugar, but I couldn't remember. I couldn't figure out why it was sweet. Everybody loved it and it tasted great. And I went on my way. Well, the next week or 10 days later, or so I went to make the recipe again and i went to into the fridge to pull out the yogurt to see if there was any left. I had bought a new one. And when I opened it, I realized I had used vanilla Greek yogurt. There's a lot of sugar in vanilla Greek yogurt. Well, in yogurt, the regular ones, we had no idea that it was, would make such a difference. And so in order to use up the rest of that Greek yogurt, I did like half and half and it was perfect to do a little bit of van- just in the tzatziki sauce, not in the marinade. So yeah, I did like half vanilla flavored, half plain Greek yogurt and was kind of thankful for my mistake. And frankly, to get to the bottom of my mistake, because I had kind of forgotten about it. I thought that I just added, I don't know what I thought I did. So anyway, that was my kitchen oops.
0: I would have thought the vanilla would make it taste really weird
1: no because i think when you put in all of that vinegar and cucumber and it i mean it was definitely sweet but it wasn't vanilla i would i think i would have picked up on it faster if you could taste the vanilla just sweet Mm, funny despite all of the cookies that i've been baking i needed a cake for gouache vember. very important to have you know live models to draw from And so I made a Bundt cake one day, and this was like right before the election, I think. And I did a sour cream and apple Bundt cake. And I had to borrow the Bundt pan from my friend and neighbor down the street because my Bundt pans are the tiny little ones. And because it's all these chunks of apple, it called for a bigger. I ended up giving them half of this Bundt cake because it was so dense and wonderful. And we have all these cookies. And I really just needed it for an art.
0: Bunt cakes are big. Yeah, Beautiful. this
1: guy, this guy was like 10 cups, I think. It was sizable, but it was delicious. So I have that recipe for everyone. Then I did, uh, back to my chicken, my chicken thing. I did a creamy garlic chicken with some, I had roasted off a couple birds. And so I did a creamy garlic sauce for the leftovers. I'm trying to find different ways of dealing with leftover chicken meat. And so in a skillet with, I just crushed the cloves and cooked it in with it. And then you can take the cloves out. So it's not super garlicky, but the cream sauce and, oh my gosh, it was really good. I lightened it up a little bit with some chicken stock instead of going whole hog with the, with the heavy cream. And that helped everyone, was very happy with that. we We did it over rice with pan roasted brussels sprouts and pancetta. It was really good.
0: That sounds super comforting too.
1: Uh-huh. And it was very fast and easy. And I think I used three cloves of garlic. The recipe called for an entire head. and I can see why you could get away with a lot more. It was pretty mild. It wasn't super garlicky. And then with the same, with the rest of the chicken, I really stretched these two chickens all week. I made a gigantic chicken pot pie, which is an Ina Garten recipe from a long time ago. But her chicken pot pie recipe um, has these wonderful parsley biscuits that you bake on top, kind of like a, like a dumpling. And everyone here, including Papa Bill, loved that recipe. And it, it was a great way to use up the rest of the chicken. So that's, that's that in chicken in the chicken chapter.
0: That sounds good. I'll have to lend you my um, Cook 90 cookbook or see if the recipes are online. They have a section on like taking a rotisserie chicken and doing things to it that I think you might find helpful. There's some good recipes. I think you could just use parts yeah. of the So they're super fast and easy. That's my, my chicken skillet enchilada that I've made multiple times is from that.
1: Yeah, I try to use it. Like the...
0: 15 minutes of, like once yeah. you have the roast chicken, the rest of it is 15 minutes.
1: Since it is the protein of choice around here, I try to use a- absolutely every part of that bird that I possibly can, yeah. you know, and really stretch it. So yeah, I will look into, into that. But Cookies,
0: <laughs> 100 Cookies by Sarah Kiefer. I only made one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, which, you know, is pretty good. Oh, yeah. Um, you get two. We did 10. Ooh. And you started after me, too. <laughs> nice. And I had to take a break to make a cake for the um, election. And then we had a cake for my birthday. So we had a few days off from cooking.
1: Yeah. And we have we have an extra guy. We have help eating these cookies, not just with Papa Bill, but our boys have a wrestling coach who comes in and he's been sort of in our bubble or pod or whatever you want to call it. And he has weighed in on almost every single cookie because he's here twice a week. And he is just wants a cookie lesson. And it's been really fun to have another person helping
0: eat all of these things. Giant, giant cookies. Um, So there are eight sections in this book. First is the classics, and then brownies and blondies, and then fruit extravaganza, and then the next level, and then time to play, pan banging cookies, and then mix and match and extras, which are sort of, the extras is like lemon curd and things that you can mix and match with the cookies to make cookie sandwiches cookie cakes and things. Um, so those aren't, I guess, actually cookies, but they are additional recipes. So yeah, so it was fun. I tried to do a little bit from each section. I think I did pretty well.
1: Yeah, we we peppered our way through the book.
0: Yeah, it's a nice um, variety. There, are, um, There's a whole lot of chocolate chip cookies for sure. So she'll usually have kind of a basic, like there, here's my basic brownie, but then she'll do five different riffs on it. Um, and then here's the blondie, but, additional options and then some of them are just (laughs) wackadoodle modern cookies and yet they're delicious
1: I had my husband go through it with his dad and to to pick out their favorites that they really wanted me to make when we first started and basically they made a list of every cookie in the book
0: (laughs) I was gonna say it's probably easier just to say don't make these
1: and then eventually that's what it came down to. Like the kids didn't want me to make the rye raspberry ones, which was the only one that I wanted to make, but I don't have rye flour and I have so many other ingredients that I ended up not making that. Yeah, we, we went, we really, really test drove this
0: book. <laughs> yeah. Right. So did you have a favorite? Can you narrow or Let's did you have anything that didn't work out? Maybe we should start with the... Because I had one that was kind of a fail and I think it was more me, but um, it tasted delicious still.
1: Yeah, I I did the the palmiers with apricot and cardamom and I used purchased puff pastry. Mm-hmm. And I think I underbaked them. I, I cut them too thick and I underbaked them. So that was a user fail error. And I think... If I did them again, I would still purchase the puff pastry. I would just cut them really thin. And I you couldn't really taste the, the jam or the cardamom, yeah. but maybe if they were thinner, I don't know. That was the only one we were kind of ho-hum about, but the other 11 or whatever, 10 cookies were pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, my pumpkin cheesecake bars did not work out so well. Mm. I think the cheesecake just didn't set. And I thought I followed the directions and she has you cook it fairly low until it's kind of set around the edges and starting to turn a little golden. And then, but the middle is still jiggly and then it it sits for a while I think in the oven and then has to chill for four hours. And actually I chilled it overnight even I think because I didn't start it early enough and it just never really fully set. So it tasted good. Nice pumpkin cheesecake and a graham cracker crust, I think. Yeah. That needed a little bit more work. Well, I, mean, I, the other ones were I all... did
1: do the, speaking of bars, I did the lemon and oat bar. That was the first one I did too.
0: I don't know, that, was the first one. that was the first one I did.
1: What did you think of those?
0: I really liked them. They weren't super sweet, but you still just needed a little bit. Like you couldn't eat a ton of it at once. I mean, oh, we like, don't,
1: we don't have a problem with that. <laughs>
0: My kids did. I felt like you could, like I I could, I could just have a little bit and then I was good. And then maybe like an hour later I'd go back.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I did cut myself tiny little postage stamp sizes of that one. I would have liked a little bit more lemon in that, but otherwise, yeah, that was a, that was a hit around here. I didn't do any of the other bars. I don't think, oh, I did blondies. And the Blondies were a huge favorite of the wrestling coach who said I could make those anytime and he would take care of them for me.
0: Did you do the straight Blondies?
1: I did the straight Blondies, not the. there's an
0: enhanced version. We did the Espresso Caramel Blondies. Oh, my. And which was amazing. So yeah. good. Yeah. And I was kind of worried about the Espresso with my kids because they don't usually like that coffee flavor. But I think it, it doesn't it doesn't taste like coffee. It just is wonderful. And then the caramels and then you swirl the caramel on the top. I did not make my own caramel sauce as she recommended. It's like, nope, I don't, (laughs) I'm not feeling that fancy. I'm, but I'll buy fancy caramel sauce from the grocery store and swirl that in top. And that was perfect. Oh, and I should also say I made all of these using gluten-free flour. Oh yeah. That's important. So, and they, So that's the other thing, because mine were often, especially the bars, I think the lemon oat bars, I had this problem too, was, were pretty crumbly. The cookies worked out fine. The bars were a little bit crumbly and not as stable as I would have thought they should be. Mine Um, came
1: out, mine came out great. In fact, for that lemon oat bar, it calls... I use regular flour in, in my baking, but it calls for a fair bit of oats. And I thought to myself, huh, I wonder if I should toss this in the food processor, if that would make a tighter crumb. But then in the end, when, you know, when we were talking about it, everybody agreed that it was pretty great and didn't need that extra step. I had fine luck with regular flour and gluten-full
0: So it's probably the gluten-free flour just changes. it. They all tasted delicious. And I don't know that you would have been able to tell that they were made with gluten-free flour. I used, I think it was the Bob's Red Mill one-for-one that I've been using lately. So they tasted great, Mm. but I did notice they were a little bit crumbly, but the cookies were fine. My people
1: absolutely loved all of the pan banging ones. (laughs) And the first ones I made was like a just a chocolate chip cookie oh it was the peanut butter chocolate chip cookie which are the pan banged version which when I followed the directions to the absolute tea measured and weighed the balls of the cookie dough out and everything those things measured five inches in diameter when they came out of the oven which is awesome and impactful and my people were thrilled But it means that you're standing in your kitchen baking these things and banging the pans all day. I think every once in a while, it's really fun to do that, but it's definitely not the most (laughs) fast process. However, I did it several times for the sake of this (laughs) cookie book. We did the pan banged snickerdoodles also. I made those a little bit smaller so that I could at least fit six cookies on the tray. Instead of four,
0: yeah, I did the um, rocky road and those call for four. I was like, Really? Yeah, okay, It's a huge, like, you don't realize how much dough a quarter cup of dough is. It doesn't sound like that much, but then you look at it on the pan, you're like, This is nuts. This is it's so big and yeah, so delicious.
1: Yeah, and the other one that we sort of modified was the s'mores cookie. I think that was a I think that was a pan banging one too. I can't remember. Oh, I did not use marshmallow, which I guess negates the s'mores thing, but the, the way that they get, the way that she calls it a s'mores cookie is that you mix up the dough and then the outside of it, it's like a chocolate chip cookie. Basically that's rolled in a graham cracker crumb dust and then baked and, banged off. I thought it had excellent flavor having that graham cracker crumb on the outside. And I almost think I didn't put enough on it because I had tons of it left over. We did not use the marshmallow, which is probably sacrilege or something like that. But three quarters of us don't care for marshmallow anyway. And we didn't miss it It was kind of a delicious cookie. So that was fun.
0: What the, the, Rocky the Rocky Roads sim- sounds similar to that. You make, it's a chocolate dough and then you mix in chocolate chunks and sliced almonds and then roll the dough in the almond in some additional almonds. I had whole almonds and not sliced ones. So I just chopped them all up so that it was a little bit of a different texture. Just, and then they were pan banging as well. And I have to say, I did not bake them one, Pan at a time as she recommended. I put all three in there on convection, (laughs) and they turned out fine. Thank you very much. Oh, good. I do feel like I need to work on my pan banging technique a little much. They did not seem to collapse as much as I thought they should, but they still worked out fine. And I had to cook them a little bit longer than called for, and I expect that was because of having them all in there. But we did add the marshmallows. Okay, you cook them for about half of the time and then bang them and then add the marshmallows for the second half. And it was, those were pretty amazing. I was gonna make the Rocky Road brownies and then felt like I'd been making a lot of bars and I should test some cookies. And I hadn't done any of the pan bangers yet. So I wanted to, for science, you know, test that out. Um, (laughs) Early on, I did the Neapolitan cookies where you make a basic dough, split it into three, add cocoa powder to one, and then ground up freeze dried strawberries to the other. and then she has you pull off little bits of each dough and roll them all together. I like rolled them out in strips and then kind of sliced them. Oh, um, Which felt a little bit easier. I don't know, it, it seemed to work okay. I didn't divide in my, my three parts were not quite in three so I had a lot, of, a lot more chocolate than everything else which, you know, was fine. But that was really cool. The strawberry flavor with the freeze-dried strawberries, it really adds to that flavor. It and was since- delicious. Oh, did you make those too? Yeah, we did. That was a huge favorite. Yeah. It just looks so pretty. I think that was part of the reason. Is it on the cover? Oh, it is on the cover. Yeah. I think in that picture, I think that was one of the reasons I was like, ooh, this is awesome. I want to try this. So that was really good. And I did the banana poppy seed as well, where you use freeze-dried bananas. And that's, yeah, the, the the flavor that comes through is pretty, pretty awesome, I thought.
1: My people are not interested in that one, but I have all the ingredients, so I'm going to make them for myself.
0: <laughs> How good. It, it, it's banana. It's a, definitely yeah. a good flavor. So it was cool. I think that was, was one of the first ones I made, and you know, it was the lead one. I think if it had come later in the rotation, they would have been less impressed. Mm. Okay. I had the Neapolitan, and I did a, I did not the non-pan banging peanut butter <laughs> cookies. Okay. She has a recipe in there for candied peanuts. That's she suggests putting into the peanut butter cookies. And I wanted to do that, but someone had eaten all the peanuts that I bought, which I didn't realize. So I threw chocolate chips in there and that was, you know, tasty.
1: Yeah. I also made the oatmeal cookies without raisins and they were great. And I did the brown sugar cookies, which were really simple, but I think that the crown The crowning winner around here was definitely the Neapolitan cookies. And that was um, all of the guys loved those. My husband wants me to try it with a different kind of cocoa powder. The Dutch cocoa powder makes for like a really dark, rich version. But she referred to another recipe in her intro to that one. And I looked at the original recipe and it doesn't call for Dutch cocoa powder. So I'm going to try it with regular cocoa powder I did add a little bit of food coloring to the the strawberry part I don't think it needs it it has awesome strawberry flavor and I would I'm tempted to add a little bit more of the strawberry because that was everyone's just I mean I could have eaten a batch of that alone yeah. you know, just the strawberry cookies. And I think it would be fun to have some vanilla bean flex in the vanilla one and amp it up a little bit. Like once you've separated the three to add a little vanilla yeah. bean paste to it, which would be yeah. fun. That, that one she calls for like rolling in like a sanding sugar or something like that. And it makes it pretty, but it's almost an extra, you could get it totally get away without doing that. There it's just flavor-wise, totally fun. And the Colin, the coach, came in and he said to me the next time, I really love the cosmopolitan cookie. That one's my favorite. So (laughs) now we're calling it the cosmopolitan cookie. And it is, it's just been really fun to have another character trying out these cookies. And everybody gets really serious about it, you know, when when I tried a new recipe and I'd say, You can have one, but I need a full report. Like don't even think about disappearing until I get the report. And so we had this cookie log on the counter and people would weigh in. I don't care about the pan banging, but I love that they're big or these seem really tiny compared to the other ones. (laughs) It was just, it made for a great conversation around here. And what a joyful, although I've eaten way too many cookies lately, what a joyful practice it's been to try a different recipe every, geez, I did two a week, I think. Yeah. That's crazy.
0: Yep. I also did the smoky butterscotch. Oh, how did that one come out? That was really good. That is not at all sweet. It's definitely like a grown-up after dinner kind of cookie, although my kids plowed through them as well. I think that one has this, you make brown butter, for the butterscotch, and then... You add liquid smoke and
1: oh yeah,
0: with smoked salt and some sugar as well on top. So it's it's a kind of a weird flavor, but not not too weird, if that makes <laughs> sense. It's just it, it's not you know it's not your typical super sweet cookie, but yeah. really really tasty. And I did, I did a sable myself.
1: too. Oh, I forgot to write it down. I was just sitting here thinking, oh, I. I did one that wasn't very sweet at all and it tur- it was that sable one which was right next to the the smoky one that you did. Did you do any other ones? I think that's it. There
0: are certainly more that I want to make.
1: Which yeah, which ones are are on the to-do
0: list? There's some espresso ones. There's a Boston cream pie bar which I was thinking about which might just be too close to the the cake to to be worth it really, but it sounds intriguing. And some of the more interesting flavored ones, there was one, did you do one with blood orange glaze? Somebody did that. I saw someone posted, it wasn't you, was it? No. It's an olive oil sugar cookie with blood orange glaze, which sounded.
1: Yeah, kind of actually kind of Christmassy.
0: Yeah, that's citrus.
1: Oh, how about you? I r- still really want to make the rye and raspberry ones when I get some rye flour at some point. I love rye. Uh, nobody else cares about that at all. I want to try the mud pie bars.
0: Oh yeah, those look good too.
1: Because this family goes in big for chocolate mousse and they're really pretty. Nobody nobody around here loves creme brulee. So I don't think I'll do that one. I love it. <laughs> and of course she has an Oreo or, you know, like a sandwich cookie. Mm-hmm. And one of her variations of it is like a strawberry sandwich cookie with that same freeze-dried strawberry.
0: Oh yeah, that was. Uh,
1: And that really interests me because if there's one thing that I really loved about this book is that technique of, of using the freeze-dried fruit. I do wish that it had some options with almond flour. I think almond flour is tricky to bake with, and maybe that's, that's why it's not, you know, but for pan banging, I mean, they spread far and wide. So a little almond flour, if there was like a way to mix that up a little bit, I'd just be curious about it. But yeah, it was so fun. And thank you for uh, really my family. Thanks <laughs> <you. laughs> <laughs> for all thank of the God. cookies.
0: Yeah. And I thought, I mean, some of them have, like the liquid smoke is kind of an odd thing that you may or may not have, but it's not hard to find. And most of the rest of the ingredients are kind of, if you have baking supplies, you probably can pull something out. Or they have one thing, like you have to go buy freeze-dried strawberries. But again, yeah. Trader Joe's, it's not that complicated. Right. So They
1: have them at, they have them at CVS. Oh, do they? Yeah. They have a lot of freeze-dried fruit even there. Cause it, we ran out and one of the kids grabbed me a package of freeze-dried strawberries from the pharmacy. So it is readily available.
0: Yeah. I thought the directions were clear. There's nothing terribly complicated about it. Again, I use gluten-free flour and they were fine. And I cooked them all in the oven at the same time and not one pan at a time. <laughs> and that generally worked out. Okay. Yeah. We just went through an obscene amount of butter. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of butter. I did have to keep buying butter and eggs every once in a while. I was like, really? Okay. Sometimes it was one, but sometimes it was four.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Generally delicious. I think though that this would be a great book to give for the holidays with like a fun set of oven mitts or a great bottle of vanilla extract, you know, something to sort of round it out. It's a beautiful book and the photographs are great and... There are, I mean, it says a hundred cookies. There are a lot of variations on a theme, but I think that I only had one cookie cookbook on my shelf, and I've been using that thing for 25 years. So it's it was fun to get a fresh cookie book and and look at all of these new versions and of old favorites. You know?
0: Yeah, it's. I think it's a nice combo of the classics and more modern flavors. Yeah, like chocolate chips versus the smoky butterscotch. Yeah. Kind of in between, yeah. Very, very fun. Very nice. Built-in bookmark, I always like that. Yeah. And it made it to the semifinals of the Goodreads uh, cookbook competition, so it is well, still. And I'm gonna
1: keep our cookie log in my my year, year-end year planner because it was just a, a kind of a time capsule from the past month too,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah, my guys were pretty much like, "Yep, it's delicious, They're really good."
1: Oh, mine are a little bit more discerning. I think snobby.
0: <laughs> mine were. Not. I guess I don't do as many cookies as you do in general, so they have less to okay. go on. I'm kind of excited to get something. Well, yeah, one cookie so butterscotch was was much more of a hit than than I thought it would. Be. Yeah, it sounds it's like it. Like so big.
1: The Dutch cocoa portion of the, of the Neapolitans or the Cosmopolitans, whatever you want to call them, <laughs> was a little bit strong for some people. And so we were cutting them like into portions and leaving a little stack of the cocoa. And I loved the strawberry part. And so we were all sort of trading off until I got, I got to tweak that recipe a little bit for my people, but. And I think was, you need
0: to make a cosmopolitan, an actual cosmopolitan flavor No. Yeah, right. A you know, strawberry, right? Yeah, I, I don't know. Do something with the strawberries and maybe lemon, make it kind of a, well, maybe like a strawberry one with a lemon glaze or the orange glaze. Yum. We have That would to be great. Nice. Wouldn't yeah. that be good? Yes, absolutely. Really good. All right. We have a plan. I'll get right on that. Thanks. <laughs> Please do. All right. On the nightstand. First, I want to say, if you remember last time we were talking about what should be wild, which is yes. that book that you read. that was super weird and you were very disturbed, but you were potting through. And I was so confused about how I had not heard of this book. Well, it turns out I've actually read it. <laughs> so I went, to the, I went to Libby, which is the library online app and it was available as an audiobook, and I didn't have an audiobook. So I downloaded it. I was like, great, I can listen to this while I'm cooking. So I'm listening. I'm like, this sounds kind of familiar. <laughs> and I'm like, this sounds really familiar. <laughs> so I went to Goodreads and checked, and I read it two and a half years ago. So pre podcast. So I didn't really exactly have a record, and I didn't talk about it. But what I said was, I gave it two stars and said, I like the premise, but it felt too dark and full of portent without reason. So that was my review. And apparently I just blocked it all out.
1: Yeah. I think that when you wrote to me about it and told me that you had read it and given it two stars, it gave me permission to speed read the end and pick up the important pieces. It it was not the most satisfying read. And I don't think it's critical for anyone to add to their list, (laughs) which makes me cringe because I hate to do a negative book review but I'm just gonna save people the
0: time on this one and oh, call it done yeah I mean not every. maybe it is somebody's favorite book and they might want to you know there might be someone else who might really enjoy it but I yeah I didn't find the ending satisfying I think is is what it came yeah to.
1: yeah so, we'll just save people from yeah that same fate what else did you read though for real
0: for real, quite a few. As I said, I was I was kind of in a reading, reading place these past two weeks. Um, so I started with Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. I can't wait to read that. It's really good. It is very sad. I cried through the whole thing. So just <gasps> be aware. Okay. But it's beautiful. And it was also, I think, right before the election. So I was a little emotional. <laughs> anyway, it centers around the death of William Shakespeare's only son when he's 11. So it's you know, obviously that's a little sad, but it's really interesting. It goes back and forth between his parents meeting and their life and uh, the son's life. And they never, she never says anybody's, she never says William Shakespeare. She never says Shakespeare. So if you didn't know who these people were, you wouldn't know who he was. So it's kind of about him becoming Shakespeare, but he's not even really the main character. It's more about the wife and the son. There's a little bit of magical realism. She definitely has some powers. So you have to be How okay fun. with that. But it was beautiful. It was so well-written. Did not want to put it down, even though I'm just crying. Which again, uh, was actually like where, where things are emotionally in the world right now. Yeah. Um, but it is it is sad. And then it goes... Maybe the last third of the book is after his death and what the family goes through. She does a lot with, there's there's very little known about his family or him for that matter either. But there's enough intriguing facts that she had a lot of space to play with them. And so what she did with it was pretty cool. And the two daughters are in there, Shakespeare's parents, just really interesting characters. I really liked it a lot. I can't
1: (laughs) wait. I nearly majored in Shakespearean studies in college, undergrad, so...
0: It, yeah. it's totally my happy place. Yeah, it was interesting. It was really, really well done. I Hooray! Think. I can't wait yes. to read it. Enjoy. And then I went on a young adult poetry flight. I guess we can call like a wine flight, but a book flight. So I read Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds, and he started off as a. I think he was. He's definitely a poet, possibly a slam poet, and then has been writing young adult books as well. This one I actually listened to, and read. It's a book in verse. Uh, I heard a review of it on Strong Sense of Place. And Jason Reynolds, the author, does the audiobook reading. So I kind of thought it would be cool to hear him read it since it is poetry, presumably. Since it's his poetry, he would get it right. But then as I was listening to it, it it do- it doesn't sound like poetry. It, I mean, it's lyrical, but not. it doesn't have that well, because he actually knows what he's doing, so it doesn't have that ba-dump, ba-dump, ba-dump that you might expect. So I wanted to see what it looked like as well. And the audio is only about an hour and a half, so it didn't take very long. And it was available on Libby as well. So I was able to check it out and kind of read it along. So the the layout on the page is also really interesting. It looks It looks like an elevator shaft, which is where the book takes place in an elevator. So I don't know if I'd recommend listening to it or reading it or just doing both, but they're both really good ways of experiencing this. So the story is another Will. Will uh, is 15 and his older brother, Sean, is shot to death outside their apartment in front of Will. And that night he gets his brother's gun and heads for the elevator to go down and find his brother's killer and take revenge. At each floor in walks a ghost. So it's kind of Boys in the Hood meets Christmas Carol, and the ghosts have a lot to say. So it, it was it was beautiful and powerful and sad and makes you think. And I really liked it. I liked the audio version. I liked reading it. It was it was pretty amazing. Thumbs up on that one as well. And then in a similar vein, Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo. A similar background. She was also a poet, and so it's another novel in verse and. Um, She's been doing more novels as well. Um, So this is the story of Shiomara, who is 15 and lives in Harlem. And her parents are from the Dominican Republic. um, And she has a twin brother. Her mother is very religious and very strict. Her father is there, but doesn't really pay attention to them. And she's a really good girl, does pretty well in school, but is 15 and kind of starting to have her own feelings and questioning the religion her brother is kind of a genius, so he's off at a different school, and he's the boy, so his, the parents kind of let him get away with stuff. And then uh, there's a new teacher at her school who starts a poetry club, and she wants to join because she's been doing a lot of writing in her journal. But it's the same night as confirmation class, and she knows that's not going to fly with her parents. So it goes on from there. Similar construction. You know, the words are all in, in poetry form, but it still tells the story. This was another beautiful one. The relationship between the brother and the sister and the heroine and her friends and her mother like it's just really amazing writing and a lot of times I have problems with young adult books because they're so angsty and this one has that real emotion without being annoying <laughs> you know like it feels real and important and vital and again not very long the ending was amazing so another one that I would really Recommend as well. That was uh, Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo, and I think she has a new book out that just came out or is coming out soon. So I might might need to check that out as well. And then I had another one that was kind of poetry adjacent.
1: Wow, this is so great!
0: I know, and All I never heard poetry. poetry. Yeah, this one. Yep. Uh, this is um, Afterlife by Julia Alvarez. She wrote. Oh yeah, I've read that. The Time of the Butterflies. Garcia Girl. How the Garcia Girls Lost Their Accent. But she is also a poet. Um, this one is pretty much just a novel, just the opening is, is kind of a poem. Um, but she hasn't written an adult book in apparently 15 years, so I think she's been writing kids' books and poetry maybe. Um, so anyway, so this one, Antonia, has just retired from teaching at the local university. And on that same night, her husband dies suddenly from a heart attack. And so the story really begins about six months later as she's still kind of adjusting to all of these really big changes in her life. And then she gets involved in two different crises at the same time. Uh, Her older sister goes missing and she's had a lot of mental health issues, but it's kind of like, is she a free spirit or does she actually have problems and trying to get the police to take it seriously is one difficulty and then she also becomes involved with a young Mexican couple that work on her neighbor's farm and they have all these things going on and they need help from her um, and so it's 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 about you know kind of how you make decisions about what's important, where do you put your time and effort what makes someone or something important um, and how do you live with the decisions that you make this one should put out a trigger warning for suicide in this one um, so if that is not something you can read about, don't read this book. But otherwise, again, beautiful writing, I think because of her poetry background, really lyrical, very thoughtful. And you know what? It, and it's a an older woman who's, you know, being the star, which I kind of appreciate. You don't get that a lot. So that one, that's Afterlife by Julia Alvarez. And then for the uh, fantasy portion of our broadcast, because That's the other thing that I read. Tower of Nero by Rick Reardon, the final episode in the uh, Trials of Apollo Quintet. It's the third series in the Percy Jackson world, but Apollo has fallen to earth to be punished by Zeus, and he has to go have adventures and save the world. And uh, so my boy, too, and I have been reading these for years, ever since he got into them. And so it was a nice, satisfying ending. The world is saved. I... I think I read that this is the end of the Percy Jackson world, but he left room in there for some (laughs) additional adventures. So we'll see, but yeah, no, it was good. And this one was really funny. These, this series, he starts off every chapter with a haiku. that kind of tells you what's going to happen, but it's super snarky. Yeah. So Rick Riordan seems to be a really good guy. He, has char- his, his kid, his characters are all teenagers and they have different genders and sexualities. And it's great to have that representation in young adult books, I think. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy that part as well. Uh, and then I read Darker Shade of Magic by V.E. Schwab. And she has um, just come out with The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. That's which is next
1: on my list.
0: Yep, I'm waiting for that one from the library as well. So I decided to go back and read this one.
1: Oh, good.
0: Which I liked. And I did not, the only thing is I didn't realize it's the beginning of a series. So now I have another two books to read after this. (laughs) But at least they are available. And this one was fairly standalone. Like I don't, it didn't end on enough of a cliffhanger where I feel that I have to read the other two. You could just read this one and call it done. Um, But there is obviously more stuff that's going to happen. So in this world, there are four Londons. And each of them have varying degrees of magic. There's Our London, which has none. And then there's another one that's been totally overrun by magic. And then there's the two kind of in between. The worlds have been closed off from each other for about 300 years. And there are only two people left who are able to travel the worlds and keep communication open. One of them is Kel. And when he is in Our London, he gets his pocket picked by Lila, who ends up grabbing a magic stone out of his pocket that he should not have had and should not have been traveling between the worlds. So from there, shenanigans ensue. I like this one a lot. They have a cool relationship, Cal and Lila, that is maybe romantic, but really not. They're still learning to trust each other. They're still becoming friends. So I, I like that. Usually it just goes straight to kind of like a, you know, moonlighting, will they, won't they kind of obvious thing. And this wasn't, uh, there's definitely, it's, it's, it's a nice mix of funny and snarky, but it's also pretty dark. There's a lot of magic and killing, and but overall, I, I went through that pretty quickly and wanted to find out what happened, and, and uh, so I would, I would give that one a thumbs up as well. And then I just finished Black Sun by Rebecca Roanhorse, which was awesome, and again, it's a series, but this one just came out, so I can't continue reading it. <laughs> this one is based on kind of the myths and cultures of pre-Columbian Americas. So a totally different set of assumptions than you usually get in the fantasy world. So that was really cool. There's kind of three main characters that you're following, and all their threads end up coming together at the end. Nara is the Sun Priest. She came from a childhood of poverty in the city, in the capital city, and rose to become head of the religious order, which kind of runs... Everything. Another heroine is a sea captain, and she is from seagoing society south of the capital city. Um, and she has been given a job to transport this one man to the capital city in time for the solstice. And he is Serapio, and he is the avatar of the crow god. <laughs> um, and he needs to get to the capital city so that he can take his people's revenge on the priests and religious orders for a mass killing that happened about 30 years ago. Well, okay then. <laughs> yeah, as one does. <laughs> so there is all sorts of magic. There are storms at sea. It was fantastic. I also really like it's a matrilineal society. So the women are in charge, um, at least in charge of the clans and uh, nice equality The problems people have with her being a sea captain are not because she's a woman. There's some other issues there. And again, there are people of all genders and sexualities. There's a trans woman and it's all very whatever. No one bats an eye at it. So I really like, again, seeing that representation of a society as it could be. And that one really well written. I loved all the just the different world. It was so, it was great. And I just like, I didn't want to put it down. So, and that was Black Sun by Rebecca Roanhorse. And she also apparently did a lot of um, the, the Crow avatar guy is blind. And she apparently did research with um, disability advocates and blind people to make sure she was getting his abilities correct and respectful, portraying him in a respectful way. So I really yeah. appreciate that she took the time to do that as well. And that is it for me. <laughs> you are a bibliomaniac. Well, like I mean part of it was I was not knitting as much. I was really I I wanted to be reading and I also have a lot of books out from the library and there's more coming and I have two book clubs next week and so I was a little panicky about.
1: I'm I'm a little envious. I I'm in a a little bit of a book desert right now but That's only because of supply and demand and I'm just happy that you were able to escape into the pages of some great reads. That's such an awesome,
0: really good. Yeah,
1: good. Total bibliomaniac. A
0: little bit. Yeah.
1: Speaking of, um, because I only have one book to talk about, I watched the bookmakers last night on PBS, they did a series or they did like a, an, a one hour special about the codex book fair that takes place here in San Francisco every two years about handmade books. It was extraordinary. I will oh. try to find a link so that people can either watch it online or figure out how to watch it. That's out of my technical realm, but Um, I'll put a link to the show and people can find out more about it. It was so good. And seeing how books are made and small independent presses and art books. And it was excellent. And it takes place for the most part here in San Francisco. So, yes, we've chatted about my disappointment with what should be wild and moving on. Um, (laughs) I read... The Housekeeper and the Professor by Yoko Agawa. I read another Yoko Agawa in the summertime called The Memory Police. And that was for my Lemon Latitude project about Japan. And this one was recommended to me and it finally came in from the library. So I was able to experience it. And it was also very interesting and delightful. It reminded me of the, a little bit of a man called Uwe, Mm -hmm. the Frederick Bachman one. In this story, there is a housekeeper and a professor, both unnamed. He is a mathematics professor and he has lost his short-term memory. So he can only remember in 80 minute increments and he has to be reminded of what happened and why he can't remember, but he still loves math. And so he's gone through a series of different housekeepers and he gets this one who wants to understand the math side of him and so she engages you know he he's big into shoe sizes and phone numbers and prime numbers and and teaching people about his love of math and she thinks that because she's a housekeeper she doesn't have much to contribute to this conversation with a mathematic who's also has amnesia but he's really patient with her and then her she's a single parent and her son who he nicknames root um like square root because he's got a little flat head or his haircut is (laughs) flat and it's really just this sweet story of their the their three you know threesome relationship the math part of it i am a like kind of a math phobe i i am not comfortable with numbers really and i've always felt out of my depth with it i think there are some major gaps in my own math education but if i could sit down with a professor like this who maybe didn't have amnesia i think i could fall into a better appreciation of numbers as well he just sees it really differently in the descriptions he just makes math really approachable That's saying a lot coming from me. I don't know how to underscore that, but there's a lot of baseball analogy and finding numbers everywhere and paying attention to those little coincidences and relationship building. It's a really beautiful story. And I was glad to get yet another Japanese novel in for Lim and Latitude, which I'm trying to wrap up. And that, oh, I, I am also halfway through the People of the Book by Geraldine uh-huh. Brooks, which I'm is, go it's like 11 years old. I yeah. am actually in a reread on it for my book group. It's more wonderful than I remember. Yeah. So I'm enjoying that reread and I'll tell you more about it next time because there's something going on that I had forgotten about and I can't remember how it resolves. So I don't want to keep doing that, leaving you hanging. I don't mean to do that, but that's it. I'm a book, I'm a book lightweight. I guess I've been knitting.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Knitting and painting. Yes. Very excited for the calendar. All good things. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it. So we might be doing uh gift preview idea thingy next time yeah. to see maybe how stay
1: works. tuned to the instagram and we will let people know if we we're trying to give you guys as much notice as possible about our gift episode because of shipping delays that are are happening so keep an eye on the instagram and we'll send out an update as we move forward
0: Yeah, I know bookstores are recommending you order sooner rather than later because because shipping. Shipping.
1: All right, but until then, make sure to
0: do something you love every day. Thanks everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or Courtney S F. that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.